0: Hello there. Thanks for joining us. Today we are talking to my guest, Pam. She has been a client of mine for over 15 years, I want to say. It's been a long time. I love her dearly. She and her husband and one of her sons, I've cut all their hair. I've grown pretty close to their family. They know so much about me and my family. They've just become such dear friends of mine. Knowing Pam over the years, doing her hair and sitting and having hours to talk, she doesn't open up that easily or that quickly. So when she reached out to me and wanted to tell her story, I felt more than honored that she wanted to share this. It's a heart-wrenching story about addiction, love, drawing boundaries, and taking care of herself, making tough decisions. I commend her for what she's done, how she's handled it, and how she's handled herself. She's a woman of strength that I absolutely admire. This is a long one, but try to wait until the end. She has some really great stuff to say. Come on in, hang out with us. Hear her journey on how she navigated through the choppy waters of growing up with a mother who battled addiction.
1: Hello there. Thank you for listening to In the Moment podcast with your host, Elena Marie. Elena is a hairstylist turned life coach, bringing you stories from the chair. We want to share these stories as if you were on the same side of the hairstyling chair as her. She'll be talking with ordinary people, inspiring us with extraordinary stories. Connection is what drives us as human beings. Connection with others is imperative. We want you to feel connected to her, to the people she's interviewing, to each other. We're so excited you're joining us. Pull up a seat and have a listen.
0: Okay, so tell me why you reached out and you wanted to tell your story.
2: Well, I think it's kind of important for women when they have a mother with an addiction problem that they need to learn boundaries because it it can get ugly and you end up the one punished more than what they are for their addiction.
0: So you said boundaries. Mm-hmm. Did you not have them for a while?
2: For a very long time, no. Not until I became the punching bag and decided I can't do this anymore. I'll make sure she's got a roof over her head and I'll make sure that she's fed. But as far as any emotion during the last five
0: years of her life, I just couldn't give it. it was- Meaning like you weren't emotionally there for her? Mm-mm.
2: No, she she tried, you know, but her her way of doing it was to lie about the past. Even though I knew the truth, because I lived the truth, and I was told the truth, she continually lied and said, I gave you away to your dad, because I had cancer and I couldn't take care of you. And so, even though I told her, please don't go there. You know, don't don't go into that area because you're not gonna like me coming back to you and saying, it's all a lie. You never had cancer. You didn't give us up, my dad took us.
0: So let's go from the beginning then because that's a lot right there. <laughs> Tell me what it was like, start from the beginning.
2: My parents were very young when they married. My mom was 16 when she got pregnant with my brother, and my dad was like 19. You know, just started college, and they ended up pregnant. And my brother came along, and then I came along three years after him and at the i think my earliest recollection of anything was my parents had divorced or separated whatever it was at that time and my brother was in school and so my mom lived in this little apartment and my dad on his way to work would stop at uh, the apartment and make sure that she was up and had my brother ready for school and He couldn't wake her up. I remember sitting at the end of the bed, and he couldn't wake her up. And she had gotten up and opened the oven because the oven was gas and turned it on to heat the apartment and then passed back out and went back to sleep. But I remember my dad. How old were you here? Three. But I remember my dad breaking the window in the door and reaching in, unlocking it. And honestly, that was the last time I saw her until I was about 14 or 15, because my dad took us. We lived with my grandparents, who were totally amazing. Um, My grandmother um, and my grandfather were just wonderful people. But my dad, from that day on, he always was my hero. I always look back and say, he he took me out of a, a bad situation. Now it,
0: Were it, they together at that time? My parents? Mm-hmm. No. Okay.
2: No, they were separated. Okay. <clears throat> but, you know, her family was a very large Italian family, and all of her brothers and sisters I saw. You know, when they came into town, my aunt lived in town, my, my grandparents on that side, I would, I would still see all of them, and they made sure that they were a part of my life, but my mother wasn't around. It was like-
0: Did my, she try to be around? I don't,
2: I don't think so, but I don't know that for sure. I mean, she could have reached out, and my, my father said no. But I don't remember how I got back with her when I was 14 and 15, and at that age, you want what I was missing, my mom, when she came back in,
0: um, do you remember missing her oh, terribly. from age 3 to 14? Terribly.
2: I mean, my grandmother actually—my grandmother um, would find out that she was in the hospital or something, and my grandmother would have me sit at the dining table and, you know, write her a card and do a handmade card, and she would mail it to my mother at the hospital. But as and this far is as, your dad's mom? Mm-hmm, my dad's parents. Lil.
0: Lil and Pete. Yeah. <laughs> You had wonderful grandparents that honored your mom.
2: They did. They didn't. Um, I think maybe at that point my grandmother was trying to reach out to her. You know, look, you got a son and daughter, but I don't remember her calling. I don't remember her coming by. None of that. And then my dad actually remarried when I was 10. And it would, man, my brother tells the, the funniest story is we were at my grandparents' and we were watching the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday, and just we never saw that my dad dated or had any romantic interests outside. And he just comes home with this woman and says, Kids, Meet your new mom. <laughs> My brother's like, what the hell? <laughs> Our life changed all in this. I'm just sitting here watching the Super Bowl, and bang, I got a new mom. What do you remember thinking? I didn't. I just kind of looked, and I was like, because I was 10, barely 10. Um, or Actually, it was just a few months before
0: I turned 10 when we brought her home. Um, Did he actually use the word mom instead of so-and-so her name or whatever? Mm-hmm
2: like here's your your new mom and she had two sons and then they ended up having my sister so there was a blended family of five and at that point in my life I needed my stepmom I mean she uh, taught me so much throughout my life she was more of a mom to me than my mom and my mom tried you know, during those early years when we first got back together, she um, tried to be the cool mom. You know that.
0: So tell me about what does that look like when you say got back together? Did you see her, or did, were you living with her?
2: I didn't live with. I never lived with her after that. Um, I just she was working in town and had a little apartment. You know, and our my hometown's small. It's not very large, and I I don't remember this to this day how I met back up with her. I mean, we just came together then. And she was living with another guy that, she did not have the best relationship.
0: So, moving from age 14, what did that look like? How often did you see her?
2: Well, she, right after I graduated, I saw her quite often, from 14 to 18. Um, I'd visit her after school on the way home and when I graduated high school she moved town. she moved down to Louisiana and from where from Altoona okay and so when she moved I missed that and so I packed my bags up and moved down there with her in Louisiana at what age I was 18 just graduated high school but didn't you just say you never lived with her but mm-hmm. you did just for a short period of time when you moved to, to
0: Louisiana. Louisiana
2: I'm sorry yeah
0: where in Louisiana uh Lafayette Lafayette so you went and lived there at 18 briefly with her mm-hmm. what made you move there
2: I think I was just ready for a change I didn't
0: was it about was it about being with her
2: it was at that time college wasn't for me and at that at that age at that time you didn't absolutely have to have a college education to be successful so um, I had, in high school, I had taken lots of secretarial classes, so I thought, well, I'll just go down that path. And I moved in with her in Lafayette, and the situation was not good. I mean, there were a lot of drugs coming in and out, um, a lot of drinking, and that's when I met Mike. And he saw that it wasn't good. And he thought I, I had to get around the situation,
0: and and y'all were both eighteen.
2: You no, know, Mike is actually three years older than me. So then I moved in with his mom and dad because Mike Mike traveled during the week for his job. He was not home all the time, so he was gone during the week and then only home on weekends. So I moved in with his mom and dad, <clears throat> and. Talk about wonderful people who took me in. Um,
0: you know, normally a kid might be angry or um, harbored a lot of feelings that, that, that didn't serve us, and it comes out as anger and rage, but from age 3 to 14, you were sad. You, you missed I, your mom.
2: I was, and and I, I think at that time is when I developed anxiety that young, because I would... I would go to school and i remember i just i couldn't do it i'd cry i'd have to go home and i never until i saw a therapist later in life um did i put two and two together where my anxiety came from
0: well uh stems from abandonment exactly Mm -hmm. exactly and then age 14 through 18 was there any anger there or were you just kind of rekindling a, a Uh, whatever relationship you could with your mom. I was, I was trying to make a relationship. By stopping by after school. Yeah. And then 18, when you went to live with her, were you any, there was no anger. There was just, I want to be with my mom. Exactly. How long did you live with her before you moved in with Mike's parents? Probably
2: about six months. And then Mike's mom said, Oh, you know, if you're going to get married. <laughs> now would be a good time. Did you want to get married? Mike had asked me, yeah. It was real, I mean, we met in September and got married in March, and here we are twenty-something years later. But at that that time he he actually, he had never met my dad, so he um, called my dad and asked for permission, you know, to marry, and my dad said no. And at the time I thought, I, I just, I don't understand why he's so adamant. And then who, your dad? Uh, my dad. Okay. And, and so I, and later in the conversation, you'll understand why um, he was like that. And Mike and I just went ahead and got married anyway.
0: So you did it despite what he said?
2: I did. Was he mad? Yes. <laughs> 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 he was not happy for a long time. But he, once he met Mike and really got to know him, it changed. And yeah, it gets a little better. Mike um, was doing very well in the oil business at that time, so we ended up... At 21? At at 21. Wow. Um, In fact, we bought our first house. I was 20, he was 23, and we bought our first house. And I remember, you know, door-to-door salesman at that time coming to the door, and I'd open the door, and they'd say, "Um, Is your mom and dad home? (laughs) And I go, oh, no, I own the house. And they were like, no, yeah, no. And then a few years later, the, in the 80s, the oil business tanked. And so Mike had no job, no money coming in. We bought a trailer, put it in the back of Mike's parents' house because um, they lived on a little bit of acreage, five acres of Did time. you have to sell your house? mm mm-hmm. Had to sell our house. And we went from uh, making, back then, over $100,000 a year you know, twenty twenty three yeah. to zip, nothing.
0: Did you have any money saved?
2: We did have some, yeah. But we bought the trailer and then Mike tried to start another business down there and it just wasn't working. Things were dead. So he went to Denver first looking for work and then he went to Dallas. And when he came to Dallas, my brother-in-law's ex-wife lived here. So they stayed with Nancy for a while, and and then I ended up moving up here, and we started life up here in Dallas. And...
0: After you left and got married, what was your relationship with your mom like?
2: It got a little bit better, um, but I kept her at arm's and length.
0: How did it get better?
2: Um, because I wasn't, we weren't with each other all the time, living together, so it, it made a little bit better, and I wasn't.
0: Let me ask, how was it bad? Like, obviously there were drugs in and out. You didn't feel safe. You weren't comfortable. But were you all fighting? Were you? What did that? What did that look like?
2: And that's that's the funny part. We never screamed and hollered at each other. It was, it was, it was kind of sad to sit back and watch her do that. But then at that age, I'm thinking, oh, this is fun. You know, smoke a little pot, do this. You know, with your mom, that's pretty cool. Until I went, you know, I'm, I don't want to go down this path of the same path she is on right now. That's just not me. It's not how I was raised with my grandparents and my dad and my stepmom. That is not who I am, and that's not who I wanted to become. So that's why I had to distance myself at that time with her. And when I moved in with Mike, I, there was a separation, and then I could deal with it. Because I wasn't seeing it every day. I wasn't seeing her smoking or doing whatever she wanted to do at the time. And and her relationship with the guy she was living with was not good. He was an alcoholic. And when he drank hard liquor, he became violent. And With her? With her, yeah. He never did with me when I lived with him. But he did with her. And I felt my entire life I was always bailing around in what way well after the oil business Mike and I moved up here and we wanted a family and I after eight years of trying because very early on I had lost my first baby so Mike and I came here um and I found a doctor that that helped uh, Mike and I get pregnant and I had my pregnancies were not well They, they didn't go real well I had to um I had to go on bed rest with uh, my oldest, He was, let's see, I was seven months pregnant. And so Mike had to work and he said, I don't want to leave you by yourself. Let me move your mom up here to help. And I said, okay, as long as the boyfriend didn't come with her, you know, well, she can live with us and help take care of me because I have to get out of bed.
0: Why would Mike think to have your mom come help you when he knew
2: what she was like? That's all we had. Okay. At that time. I mean, Mike's parents couldn't do it, mine couldn't do it. Um, So he moved her up there, and it was a.
0: She was more or less a friend that could come stay with you.
2: Yes, but she ignored me, she didn't help. She was downstairs and ended up. Benny came with her and she ended up stoned all the time. So
0: and my boyfriend did come. with
2: he her? He did. He he followed her up. I was up in bed and Mike would come home and I said, you know, I try to get her to do things and she was too busy downstairs doing whatever she was doing. So then she, they, she moved out. It didn't. It wasn't even. Didn't even make it till birth of my older son. And she moved out. And then because I had such a good relationship with my grandparents, I wanted Jacob to experience that. And she ended up by herself, and she started working a job, and the boyfriend's gone. He's no longer there. And she started, or so I thought, get her life together. And so she wanted... To have more time with her with her grandson, and I said, "Okay, we'll try it, but it's got to be supervised. I'm not just going to hand them off to you and go back home." You and, and it worked well.
0: Who supervised you?
2: Yes, Mike and I were always around when she was with them. But and how did she do? You know, she did well. My my boys have amazing stories that they. Tell about their time with her. Um, she she would focus on maybe she felt I didn't do well with my own children, so let me try and focus on. And they they have wonder, wonderful memories of her, but they didn't know I was watching. And when they were around her, you know. And then I got a little bit more lax because I saw she was doing well, and I would allow the boys to go over and spend a night unsupervised. And then it came to light that she was hiding it all. She was hiding her drinking and hiding whatever drugs she was doing, whatever pills she was taking. She was hiding it all. And I thought, okay, I need to change this up a little bit. And you now, if you wanna see the boys, have to come to my house and sleep here. The boys are no longer gonna go over there. And that worked out for a while.
0: How old were the boys? They mm-hmm.
2: so were in grade school. But then, you know, Mike would be driving home from work and, and you couldn't buy hard liquor in Collin County, so he would stop in Dallas and pick up. He liked Crown and Coke every once in a while. And he would buy Crown and we had a little, small little liquor cabinet. And my mom would come for like two or three days and then we'd take her back home and... He'd go to make, a few days later, he'd go to make himself a drink, and the whole bottle was a skim at the bottom. And in two nights, because she didn't do it during the day in front of us, she waited till we all went to bed, and then she would do it. And I was like, okay, I mean, she's hiding it from me. She's lying to me about it. And she wasn't a well woman. She I mean, her her family had a history of heart disease, so she was always calling, I'm at the hospital, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you come? And for a long time I dropped everything when she called and said I'm in the hospital, I'd go. I, I think I was always looking for that approval from her, you know, that I was doing my life right. And then finally the I'd get to the hospital and they'd turn around and they would send her home because there was nothing wrong with her. And so it got to the point when she would call, I'd say, okay, well, call me when you get home. I'm not running over there anymore because there's nothing wrong with you. She did have a heart condition. That's why she was always going, but she didn't actually, I mean, she had an eating disorder on top of anything else that was going on with the drugs and the alcohol. She um, she didn't eat. She was more or less anorexic. I mean, she probably weighed 90 pounds, so with. When did you
0: decide enough was enough?
2: Well, it was before well, my dad had gotten me sick, um, had bladder cancer, and I was flying back and forth from, from Dallas to, to uh, Altoona and to help take care of my dad. And at the same time, Mike's dad had open heart surgery. So I would fly up, take care of my dad for a week, come back, and then Mike would leave and go. And actually, I have to to back up a little bit because my mom had, she had had a heart attack here in Dallas, and the doctor said she, she was a waitress all of her life, and he said she can't do it anymore. You know, she can't work. And I said, okay. So Mike and I are like, what do we do? You know, she can't live on her own. She doesn't make enough money. She's not, Social Security's not gonna pay for that. And Mike said, well, you know, we can move her in. We can move her in with us. And I said, you move her in the front door and I'm moving out the back. And he's like, I get that. So I called her brothers and sister and her sister said, if you can get her up here with me, she can move in with me, which was not a good situation. It was like oil and water for a while with those two. They were, they were good as long as they didn't live together. And they were very close as sisters, but they just couldn't live together. So my brother and I ended up getting, putting money together. And um,
0: let me ask you about your brother really mm-hmm. quick. You are doing all this for your mom. Did your brother help out?
2: Not at that time. I mean, he didn't understand um, the severity of her addiction until she moved up there. And he and I have always had a very, very close relationship, but we never really talked about her and her addiction until she moved up there. Well, that would be painful. It really was. I mean, because I think he and I both were very hurt. I remember after when I would go home to Pennsylvania and I would um, go and spend 30 minutes with her. And I remember I did that and then I left and I went to my brother's house and he and his girlfriend were sitting out by the fire pit. And she said to us... um, you know, no matter what she's done in, in life to you guys, she's still your mom, and you, you've you got to love her. And it was the first time I ever saw my bro- brother explode, and he said, let me ask you something. He said, Have, when you got home from school, when you got off that bus, who was there waiting for you? And she said, my mom. he goes, well, mine wasn't. Mine was not there for anything. She didn't pack my lunches. She wasn't there for any of my baseball games, my football games, nothing. And I think no one can tell you how you should feel. You know, and and I've always thought just because she gave birth to me didn't make her my mother. I tried hard for so many years to make it work. And until my father passed away and I went to a therapist and she put it into perspective for me as, you know, most women, everything is rolled up in one mother for you and they get everything from that one. For you, you had four women, you had your mother who gave birth to you, you had your grandmother who taught you your sense of style because my grandmother took me shopping and she made sure that my bra panties matched and my shoes matched this and always had to have the purse that matched the shoes and the the whole Easter outfit, that was all my grandmother. And then when my stepmom came along, she taught me how to cook and clean because she would go play bingo on Sundays and she'd say, okay Pam, You have to cook for your dad and your four brothers, your three brothers. And I would cook the meal. It wasn't always perfect when I first started out. (laughs) But, um, and then came my mother-in-law who taught me how to be a wife and mother. So it, it really made me feel, okay, she gave birth to me. And I can't carry the burden and the guilt anymore of not fully loving her like I should as a mother,
0: she didn't give you that option.
2: No, she didn't. She was only capable of so much. She was, and that's what, um, you know, I tried for so long. And later in life, um, after Mike and I had gotten married, um, you know, I always dreamed of this big wedding, white dress, and walking down the aisle with my dad. And I didn't get that because. My, my parents, who didn't talk to each other in 10 years, my mother decided when Mike asked me to marry him that she would call and tell my dad about Mike and that Mike was the biggest cocaine dealer in the state of Louisiana. And I, my dad never spoke to me about that, but he talked to Mike about it. And he goes, let me tell you what happened. Pam's mom called and said, and the hurt that she ruined an, a, a really important event that I could have had in my life. I don't know whether it was out of jealousy or I have no idea. But she called him up and I, I I started finding out more and more things that she had done behind my back and said to people. But that that was probably, you know, I think And she knew, she knew how much my father meant to me and I don't know if she was trying to, you know, break up that relationship. I I don't know because I I never got inside her head. Did you ever ask her? No. Uh, For me, I always pushed everything down instead of confronting her on things.
0: Why didn't you ask her?
2: I don't know. I don't, you know, I just, I don't know if I was so hurt by that that I just couldn't talk to her about it. Just like her story of saying, I gave you up because I had cancer. She had a boyfriend. She was running around on my dad. But yet, up until the day she she got sick, she, would t- she called me like, I don't know, maybe a week before she passed away, and she said, I just have to tell you, and she's crying, you know, it's the truth. I let I gave you up, and I'm sitting there, and I said, you really don't want to have this conversation with me, because I know the truth. You don't want to have the conversation with me.
0: So you would voice that?
2: Yes. I know the truth. You don't want to have that conversation with me. And I think the point that I really... Emotionally walked away was when I hit the age of 50 and she called me and to wish me a happy birthday. But it was, oh my god, you're old. And she said, I just kind of just stood there in my kitchen when she said that, and I was like, What? She said, God, you're old. I said, no, I'm getting up there, but I'm not old. And then she basically called me ugly in that same conversation. And that's when I went, I don't know if I can continue doing this anymore. you voice thought? No, you're thinking to yourself. I'm thinking to myself. Um, and there were times after that, um, when I had a problem with the mammogram and I had told my brother, I said, I have an issue, I got to go back. And I said, but please, whatever you do, do not tell mom. And he told her. <laughs> and she called me, and a few days later— Why didn't you want her to know? Because I didn't want her to know. I just I just didn't want her to know anything that was going on with me at that point. Um, this was after my 50th birthday. Um, and she called me, and she said, so, do you have cancer? I said no she said oh thank God because you look funny with no titties wow and Mike is like she said what <laughs> I'm like okay I'm, I'm done and, I, and that's when I told my brother I said I, I can't do this anymore I, I just let me know if she needs rent money or she needs food in her refrigerator but I just I can't do it
0: I think the comments of "Gosh, you're old," an ugly comment. You'd look funny with no titties, Like that's all about her.
2: I, you know, with with her and her her addictions, I never knew what was going to come out of her mouth and how it was intended. She couldn't be trusted. I mean, no, period. no, with you and and who you are and your heart, and, and she's never been able to be trusted. No, and I think for me, um, once I had children of my own, I, I knew in my head I'm going to do a 360 and do the complete opposite of what she's ever done and always be there for my kids. I'm not the perfect mom, but I think my kids turned out to be pretty, pretty good adults these days um but i didn't have that guidance from her i mean she you know and i'm sitting here and honestly she had some great qualities about her too i mean it wasn't all bad what were those she loved her grandkids unconditionally she was there for every grandparents day she was there for their plays Um, but then she would ghost and we wouldn't hear from her for three months. And I'd call and I'd call and I'd leave messages. And that's when I knew she went into a dark place. Mike and I always knew that when we didn't hear from her for two to three months, and that's when my brother would get upset and he'd call me and he'd say, I can't reach her. The kids are leaving messages for her. And I said, she's in a dark place. I always knew three months she was in a dark place. You had that connection to her. hmm I knew. After all the... I, I was the one that was always there. And I I was. I I was always there for her if she needed anything. If she needed her rent paid. Um, like, so I physical stuff or emotional? Or would she even go emotional of crying or saying if she was sad about something? No. You know, and, and I, as, a, as a woman, I still feel a little guilty that I should have done more to help her with her addiction. She would never admit it. She and, would never admit what? That she drank. She never admit. She took pills.
0: How do you think you could have helped her?
2: I don't know. You, get her into a program. Something. I remember one time, um, she was living in Altoona and her, um, her brother called me and he said, um, no, no. What happened was my brother called me and he said, mom's landlord called and said, there's something wrong with her. Can you, I'm driving to Baltimore for business. Can you call her and see what's going on? Until I called her, she was slurring I mean, and we're talking, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning. She was slurring her words, and she was, you know, I said, she just needs to sleep it off. So I told her, I said, go back to bed, and I'll call you later. So her brother called me um, midday, and he said, I, I, there's something wrong with your mom. And I said, she just needs to sleep it off. I'm telling you, I've been down this road, I don't know how many times with her. I know the pattern. And so then he ended up calling me at around 5 o'clock that afternoon. And he said, she's still slurring. I think she had a stroke. He said, I've called an ambulance. And I said, okay. So I called her, and I said, look, there's an ambulance on its way. Stay with me on the phone until they get there, you know, they're going to, they're going to check you out. You're slurring and she's like, okay. And then she started talking random stuff and then paramedic showed up at the door and I said, okay, let them check you out, but hand the phone over to one of the paramedics and let me talk to them. And I said to the paramedic, you know, three things could be happening here. I said, she could have a stroke. She might've taken too many pills or she's drinking. And he said, oh, she ain't had no stroke. And I said, take her. And they took her to the hospital, and she ended up in psych ward because she was taking too many pills and forgot how many pills she was taking. So I said, just keep her there. You know, get her back on the right track. I mean, here I am in Texas, talking to paramedics, trying to get You know, I don't know. I don't, maybe I could have helped her a little bit better. Maybe I could have been a better daughter. But I had to set boundaries because it was affecting me emotionally. But you'll always feel that guilt when they're gone that you didn't do enough. So you didn't think you did enough? Probably not. She always put the guilt on me. So maybe I'm still feeling that guilt even though she's gone. What good did you do? Oh, Lord. Um, I always made sure she had a roof over her head, food in the refrigerator, rides to wherever she needed to go. I went to doctors with her. I'd show up at the hospital. But she always told me, I don't drink anymore. I quit. I don't drink anymore. I don't take pills anymore. Why do you think she wouldn't want you to know? Because she didn't think she had a problem. Because I would be admitting that she wasn't perfect. And that's painful. Very much so. I mean, I realize um, she did not have the best, you know, getting pregnant at such a a young age, back in the 50s, you know, late 50s. I'm sure that, and then I don't know, I don't know if she really loved my dad or if it was just because she got pregnant, but I guess there was some sort of relationship there because they had me. And I think, honestly, for me, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it.
0: The entire time?
2: I think so. You know, I think part of me wanted to believe that she was telling me the truth, that she wasn't drinking and doing drugs. But I remember after she moved to back home, and she had this, you know, little apartment, and she you know, watched TV. She had everything taken care of. And she'd say, I'm out of my nerve pills. She called them nerve pills. I'm out of my nerve pills. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I said, what do you have to be nervous about? What What in your life is nerve makes you nervous? You've got food. You've got a roof over your head. You watch the trashy TV all day long. And I guess it was just the addiction part that she would panic if she got down too low on her...
0: So you're feeling like you didn't do enough. So what does it look like of someone doing a really poor job with her?
2: Well, I think, I think for me, my entire life, I still wanted that mother daughter relationship and to look at a lot of my friends, even today that have a special bond with their mom. I get, I don't want to say jealous. But I envy that because I didn't have. Now, I, with my stepmother, um, I do have a very good relationship with her, and she in, in our family because there there are five of us, and there's my brother and I, and then my two step brothers and my sister, who's my half sister. We don't use the word step or half in our family. We're brothers and we're sisters, all five of us, and my dad made sure of it growing up that we all felt loved and after his passing, it, it made us all a little bit closer um, for experiencing that and I made sure um, when my dad died, um, financially, my, my, I, I call her my mom now, she's not my stepmom, um, that she's taken care of financially, emotionally, I go home two or three times a year. Her and I have the longest phone calls, and the giggling and the laughing. And I think um, I think I'm finally able to have a relationship like that because my my mother in law died five years ago. Um, my mom died, I think it's been six or seven years. Um, so my stepmom's is the one that's left for me, and we have we have a great relationship. You know, I. I go home by myself, my husband go with me, so that I can spend one on one time with her. And we giggle and we laugh in our pajamas at, you know, in the early morning because she's not an early riser. So when she does come out of bed, we're drinking coffee and gossiping. And I finally found a little bit of that with her. I never had that with my mom. And there was a lot of criticism. I think she always criticized me. But she was good with the boys. And, and I'm thankful for that because I had that close relationship with my grandmother. And they have fond memories of things that she did. But she was she did. She showed up for them. She just didn't show up for me. Your whole life. Yeah. It, it, she drifted in and out.
0: Sounds like, I mean, clearly you were a victim in this entire situation in a way, in a sense. And she... Felt better making herself the victim, so she criticizes you.
2: It's exactly right. It was always turned back to her. Cause I remember when she passed away, one of my uncles, one of her brothers, he didn't speak to me for a long time. And I kind of put two and two together. You know, before she died, that she was telling him untruths. Um, and I remember I went home for her funeral. And they were all, my um, brother and his girlfriend and my uncle and a couple other people were waiting for Mike and I to come into this bar. We went over and he hugged, my uncle had hugged me. And after a while he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry. And I said, if you would have only called me and ask my side, but you listen to her. And I don't know what she fed you, but it it certainly wasn't the truth. And he said, I realized that. How did that feel? You know, my mother's um, brothers and sisters, she had one sister who I miss terribly. They were good to me. They made sure that they were all a part of my brother and I's lives growing up. They, they always kept in touch. Um, and I had cousins the same way that um, we always—but she wasn't—I'd go to my grandmother's. My, my grandma Kate um, didn't live far from where we were living once my dad remarried. And I stopped Grandma Kate's all the time after school. I'd walk up to her house, and um, my aunt lived with them, with her for a while, and uh, my aunt taught me how to Back then, you didn't have hair straighteners. You ironed your hair, and so she would flip her hair over on the ironing board, and she would iron it But my, there's I have no memory of when I went to my grandmother's house, or my aunt and uncles would come in from out of town, that my mother was around. But they made sure, you know, when they came into town, they called and said, you know, let me come pick you up and we'll bring you over and be with the family. I love that side of the family. I mean, they always included my brother and I, even though she wasn't around.
0: Sounds like you had a lot of love in the family. I did.
2: I You know, I always was surrounded between my grandparents and my dad and then when he married my stepmom and I had brothers and sisters and then you know my mom's side of the family I always felt loved but I felt alone. I still had a piece of me missing that that never clicked. And I think for me growing up even into adulthood there was always a missing piece. And that missing piece was my relationship with her. Even though we both tried, I don't know if we were oil and water and we just couldn't mix or whether the addiction came in. It just wasn't a good fit. And I know that's sad. Everybody wants, you know, the one person that you should be able to go to and have those conversations it should be a mom. And I,
0: I didn't have that. Sounds like you had, like you said, other women in your life. That made up for that but do you feel do you truly feel that it especially it sounds like your stepmom but do you really feel that desire that need has been met
2: at my age now yes i after my dad um, passed away i was so busy making sure everybody else was okay in the family because he was our rock i mean when he passed away it was very hard on all of us and when he, he died I, I said i After I got done taking care of everybody else and didn't have time to grieve myself, I thought, I I really need to talk to somebody. And I went to therapist, and that's when she pieced in after everything was said and done. And she said, you know, look at yourself as being lucky that you had four women in your life that gave you everything you needed and taught you what you needed to know in life. And she said, there was your mom. She might not have been the best mom in the whole world, but she gave birth to you when you're here. And your grandmother, who would put you on that bus and take you shopping in downtown and bought you whatever you wanted. You know, I remember my brother used to say, how come Pam gets 20 million pairs of shoes for school and I didn't—I got one? And I said, But well, that's, you know, that's grandma. And, um, and she was an amazing cook. And we used to have those family Sunday dinners at my grandmother's house even after um, my dad remarried. We still, as a family, went to her house on Sundays and had Sunday dinner. And and then my, my stepmom came along. And was it always e- it, It's not easy throwing a family together like that. And they did the best that they could. Um, and it took us siblings years to figure that out. Um, and we weren't the richest in town, we weren't the poorest. We didn't know that at the time. We didn't have a whole lot of money. My dad worked for UPS, had a stellar career for 37 years. He retired from there. And I remember one Christmas where my dad, UPS was on strike, and we got nothing for Christmas. So we didn't have any money. I think we each got a sweater that year. And my stepmother, even on her side, her parents were marvelous people and her aunts and cousins. And I'm still close to um, her relatives that are still in Altoona. You know, and then there was my mother in law who was a saint. Still miss her.
0: Sounds like you had a lot of wonderful women in your life. I did.
2: You know, and then you pepper in the friendships along the way, you know, the lifelong friendships of, of some of my childhood friends, and and even into the adulthood, you know, you you pick different tribes, you know, because you have certain women, you know, you've got this group of women, you've got Mm -hmm. this group of women, and they don't actually come together Mm -hmm. all at the same time, but there, there are certain needs with certain groups that I get fulfilled with.
0: Absolutely. I always say I'm a floater.
2: I am too. (laughs) I love
0: having different groups. Yes. Um, And then I
2: have individual where it's just one-on-one relationships.
0: Absolutely. They're so important.
2: Yeah. I mean... um,
0: We grow through those
2: connections. And and, and heal. And with some of those, um, they've been able, once I've shared my story, because I don't share a whole bunch. People know that it was a rough growing up I don't I don't want to say I had a I didn't have a bad childhood I just had a missing piece out of my childhood that affected me emotionally when I would go to school and those nuts I'll never forget going to going to school we were raised Catholic and went to Catholic schools all over our lives and I couldn't eat lunch there were days my stomach was just so messed up and it's just anxiety and nerves and one of the nuns sat there after all the kids had left the cafeteria and sat there and said you're going to eat every bit of this and I had to sit there. I was there for hours. That's horrible. Hours I was sitting there. And she said you but what she was doing is she knew my situation. She was trying to get nourishment in me. And she's like you've got to eat. You've got to eat. I don't know what I think about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love her her uh, intention. Yes. I just don't know if I like her forcing me to. eat. <laughs> oh. I have weird food issues, but I yeah, I um, I can appreciate that. I guess so. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, she was just she knew she was um, doing it out of my background. background, right? Right. Just well, how she was doing. Now yeah. the one that cracked me on the knuckles. Yeah,
0: we won't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> It's another podcast.
2: Yeah, she gave me crack on the knuckles, and then the next day she gave me a box of candy for my birthday.
0: Well, that's a weird and message, was, isn't it?
2: That was very conflicting. <laughs> I was like, Wait, we could what? talk about that for a long
0: time. <laughs> wow. Um, so, with any anger that you, I had, never got angry. Okay, so no anger. I
2: Really, never got angry. I was hurt more than anything, I think, but I never really got angry. And it really helped that Mike had a good sense of humor at times to kind of lighten up the mood when these things would come in when she would do certain things. But it was mainly hurt. It was there's no I have no anger towards her. Well and I always have said when I was a child that and most people will probably disagree with me because when it comes to um, addictions, they probably don't but this is how I felt. You know, it may not be the right thing, but I always felt that there was a fork in the road for her at that time. And this fork went to me and my brother, and this fork went to drugs and alcohol, and that's the road she chose. She didn't choose me, and I think that's what really hurts, is she did not choose me. She chose this path. When you're a kid, I mean, you don't have to deal with addiction. You don't even really know what it is. When I was growing up, I didn't know she had an issue. I didn't really know, even when I met her again at 14, 15, 18 years old, did I realize she had an addiction problem. I didn't realize until I lived with her. And it's funny because when, when I reconnected with her when I was 14, my dad, Never once said anything negative about her to me. Not once. He didn't say don't go see her. He didn't say she has an issue.
0: But what, I, the, what does that say to you?
2: What does that say to me? Mm-hmm. Well, he was a great man if he could keep his mouth quiet.
0: And but why? Is he wanted great? me to
2: find things out for myself,
0: and exactly. I did. And exactly. he
2: told me that later he in life. you yes. to make
0: your own decisions yes. of your mom. Right. That's a big gift.
2: Well, and. Even later on, after I ding, 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 it hit me, and I was talking to him on the phone one day, and he said, I knew you would figure it out. You had to see it on your own. I couldn't tell you things. You had to see it on your own.
0: I could not agree more with that. That's why I love that he didn't talk trash about
2: her. and And my stepmother never did either. That's wonderful. Neither one of them have ever said, "Well, your mother this," or "You can't see her." Not once did they ever say that.
0: You had a lot of healthy people in your life too.
2: I did. I still do. Do you think your mother loved you? I do. I really do. Um, she just didn't know how to show it, right? Do you think she did the best she could? Yeah, considering, you know, her her inner demons and her struggles. She did the best she could and that's what I have to look at is that's all she could give me. That was all she could give me and I have to make peace with that because she didn't have anything else left. Have you made peace with that? mm mm-hmm. Took me a long time, probably she died about six years ago so um, I think, I remember when she was in the hospital. and. My uncle had called and said, you know, I don't, they don't think she's going to make it. And I had told him at that time, please hug her and tell her that I love her and I'll be there as soon as I can. I didn't want her, she was already in pain um, and you know, gonna die, I didn't want her, I didn't want to add to that burden. And then it wasn't a few hours later when he called and said she had passed away. And I felt, this. I know this is horrible, I cried. And I told that, you know, Mike helped me and I cried, but I also felt a sense of relief, not only for me, and that I could let go finally, but for her to have finally found peace. Because I don't think she had. Sorry. (laughs) I don't think she ever had peace. And I think at that time is when I could let go because she could find peace because um, evidently there were some demons in her that she had to turn to numb it. You know. And no matter the affection or the love that I gave, um, it could make a dent. I couldn't change it. I, I can't but we get. addiction is a beast. When you're at, on the outside looking in, it's easy to criticize me that I didn't do this and I didn't do that and I'm not a, I'm not an expert at that. She had to want help. You can't force somebody into doing something that will never admit that she even had a problem. So I I couldn't help her because She didn't think she ever needed help.
0: Sounds like you did the best you could, too.
2: I still wish that I could have done more to make her life maybe a little better. I mean, I know she had a hard life. Um, She was a working woman. I don't know that she would have let you. No. No, I don't think she... Another gift I think you gave her was uh,
0: space to mess up over and over and over, you gave her chances all the time and you never gave her a hard line or an ultimatum. You just loved her unconditionally. I tried. Um, Loving her unconditionally while she's battling an addiction and making you the making herself a victim is a gift.
2: I don't know how to look at it like that. I just look like I failed. Somehow I failed
0: with her. But um, What would that I'm result look like if you won?
2: I don't know. Maybe she would have been happier.
0: But we just got through saying addiction is something you can't yeah. battle. So that it was bigger than you. Yeah, that was huge. It was bigger than anybody in her life. It was bigger than herself.
2: Yeah. Yeah, she, uh, she definitely had her demons. And I don't, I don't know what they were, but she had her, her demons. She's finally at peace. Wherever she's at, she's at peace. And I think when she passed away, I felt such relief for both of us. I know it's a final separation. I don't know if that's the word I want to use. Um, For us to both find peace. But it had to get to that, I guess, to that point, where it's just final.
0: And you've always been connected to her. And I think you're still connected.
2: I'll always be, yeah. I mean, she's my mom.
0: But you've always had a, um, a tie, regardless of, of, of whatever was lacking in your relationship. You still had a connection to her and the fact of you knew when she would go to dark places. Yes. You
2: knew when she'd go silent. You just knew. And then she would... When she came out of the darkness, she would call and I'd say... Where have you been between, you know, me and my brother and the kids calling and leave. oh, I've been working a lot. And she always worked nights. She um she worked the graveyard shift at Denny's, but she would always say, oh, I'm working a lot of hours, I'm working a lot of hours. And then she would sleep all day. And I'm like, five minutes. That's all it would have taken for you just to call and say, I'm okay. But I saw her pattern. It was a pattern that, you know, Mike and I always knew, because Mike would say, She you heard from your mom? No, must be in a dark place again. And I can't go to the dark place. I can't pull her out of that dark place. I never could. She had to do it on her own. And she she found strength to do that. You know, some people go into that dark place and never come back out. She went in and out of the dark place.
0: I mean, I'm hearing words that sound like your dad so you have a lot of your dad in you saying she had to figure that out for herself, which your dad has said that thought about that with you with her. Right. So you have a, a strength in you. You have the adult competent woman Pam. And then you have the little girl Pam that's been lying for her mom.
2: Yes,
0: and needing that from her. and you're conflicted at times. absolutely. and you oscillate absolutely. between hurt and strength.
2: Well, and and honestly, I look at, I got my strength through her. I had to become stronger, a stronger woman. And honestly, I got that from her. She challenged you. She challenged me. She gave you that gift. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that I got from her. (laughs) Not the addiction part. I did not get that.
0: Do you have any memories of her... Telling you that she loved you, any nice words? Yes, yes, it,
2: yeah. She to, she's told me that she wasn't. Really,
0: she wasn't heartless. No, she just she did criticize and she.
2: Right. No, didn't she was not. You. No, there she she had a very very tender side to her. At, also, it wasn't until she got older, she used me as a punching bag. It it wasn't always like that it was just in the last probably five or six years of her
0: life do you think that was deterioration of maybe aging in her brain and
2: And she was you know and she was she had told me she had quit drinking during those years um and i remember mike and i had gone for thanksgiving at that time and we went down to visit her and it was two o'clock in the afternoon and she was still in her pajamas and she was getting out all this Christmas stuff to decorate her building, the apartment complex she was in and she was sipping on orange juice and when we left Mike said and she had a little bit of a slur to her but I didn't, I didn't put two and two together and when we left Mike said she had vodka in there no one sips orange juice like that she had vodka okay that's why she was acting a little out there
0: and I didn't put it together well as loved ones of someone with addiction you believe what you want to believe right I always
2: still believe
0: even if you think there's no way I would totally catch that You still believe what you want to believe when you love someone and you don't want to see something. Yeah. She had,
2: uh, you know, I'm sitting here and I, I certainly hope I'm not coming across that she was this God awful woman. She had, she did the best she could with what she had inside for me. She just didn't show up for most of my life. She didn't show up. And as a little girl, it hurts. Even as an adult, it hurts. I, I don't feel that anymore. I don't feel the hurt that I did when I was like, a little girl, little Pam.
0: It sounds like you still hurt, but you have transformed it into something more positive.
2: Yes. I, I, honestly, I don't. I don't hurt anymore from it. I think um, if I let that go, When she passed away, I had to let it go. I couldn't, I didn't, you know, and it's funny because my relationship with her never affected my relationship with anybody else. I didn't ever let what she did to me did I ever turn around and project it out to my kids or to Mike. Um, I never let let that get to me that far to where it would make that's huge yeah I never projected it out
0: I I have not learned that gift
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's many years
0: in the the making Um, that's really difficult to compartmentalize that yeah and keep it over here
2: yeah I just keep it over here I mean did I get frustrated and cry around Mike absolutely Well, that's different
0: you're sharing that with your partner
2: yeah we shared that and he he saw a lot
0: Um, we all our kids when we got married. Yes. Yeah.
2: We were tiny little He lived kids. it with you. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there are two heroes in my life. One was my dad when he took me and got me out of that situation because I don't, even my brother and I, we, we talk about what would our lives have been had dad not come in. Where would we be? Would we both be as successful and have these amazing kids? I don't know. I mean, and I, I, I'm glad I didn't have to find out. You know, I'm glad my dad did come in and say, you know what, I'm taking charge now. And back then, think of it. In the, in the 60s, no judge was giving custody of kids yeah. to the dad it always went to the mom regardless regardless so you know maybe I don't know the story my dad never talked to me about it maybe he did go in there and scoop us up and maybe my mom said that that probably would be better
0: sounds like maybe they, they didn't even need to have a discussion because you, you said your mom chose the, the other that's path. how I feel yes she chose the path of mm-hmm. least resistance, which right. was drugs and alcohol, right. because getting you back and your brother back, it's it hard work. Yeah, She can't be a good addict.
2: No, and you know what, and she was so young, mm-hmm. I mean, she had my brother when she was 16. I came along three, so let's just say six years later, she's 22. She's a baby. She's still a baby. You know, when she's got these two kids, maybe that's where she, her breaking point was, is that, I, you know, I can't raise two kids. I'm only 22 years old. Well, she couldn't even take care of herself. You know, you know, and then, you know, my dad just put his head down, went to work, and made a living to provide for his kids. Moved on.
0: Did what he had. Until,
2: you know, he remarried in 1970, and um, I was ten. And actually, we all didn't move in together right away as a, as a family until they could find a house. And so I continued to stay with my grandmother for like a while after that. and I always went weekends, even after we all had a big house together. Always went back to my, I always went back to what felt like home to me, and I'd go to my grandmother's and spend the weekend. Because all my childhood friends were still in the neighborhood.
0: So we didn't touch on the boundaries that you made for
2: yourself uh, regarding your mom. The boundary came in when my 50th birthday, when she called. But what did the boundary look like for you? I didn't put any emotion. No more emotion. I will give you roof over head. I will give you food. But don't call me crying don't call me, wanting to be best pals. I—I That's where I cut it off.
0: There was what Again, what does that look like? Did you not answer the phone when she called? Or... Sometimes I did not. And
2: if I did, it was very short conversations.
0: You kept it black and white. Mm-hmm. Yes and no. Yes. No, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no answers. You didn't get emotional with her. You didn't dive in.
2: No. No. And I didn't offer... She became a family member, distant, a yeah, distant cousin. A distant cousin, <laughs> <laughs> distant yeah. cousin. Yes. yeah. I just I had to. Were there tears there with cutting that off? No, there were tears for the words she said to me, but there was not. Um... You were just done. Yeah, it took a, took me a lifetime. That was a shift. It took a lifetime for me to finally come to terms where I I. <laughs> It was okay for me to, to not totally walk away, but it was okay for me. It took me that long to figure out it was okay for me to set those boundaries. You gave yourself permission. Yeah. I wouldn't do it before because I always thought it was going to get better.
0: I think you came to a, a place of surrendering and acceptance that she will not be the person you want her to be. No. As a mother. No. And you let go and you took care of you.
2: I had to i was still raising, you know, two kids and you know, husband and mm-hmm. you know, business. Family. You know. mm-hmm. I mean, I my core was more important at that time than to take care of this over here. I I tried taking care of that over there, it wouldn't it wouldn't heal. It wasn't serving you. In order for me to be the best person, the best wife, the best mother, the best friend. And to have other relationships, I had to let that one go. I had to give up one to save the rest. That's pretty profound. (laughs) But it makes sense. I do a lot of mulling in my brain, especially three o'clock in the morning when I wake up, and as we all do. Mm -hmm. That's when I do my best praying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I loved hearing it.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to In The Moment podcast. We value our listeners and want to hear from you. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, or would like to sponsor us and watch us grow with more guests, more airtime and more interviews, you can visit our website at www.elanamarie.org. If you or someone you know are in need of life coaching, you can visit us on the website and go to the Contact Us page and fill out the inquiry form. You can also reach out to Elena on social media. Her Facebook is Elena Marie, and her Instagram is at elenamarielifecoaching. We thank you again for listening to In The Moment Podcast. Until next time.